you are listening to the sermon podcast from Bethel Covenant Church. We're an evangelical covenant congregation outside Ellsworth, Wisconsin. You can learn more about us at BethelCov.org. Thanks for listening. I, I have a question. How many of you guys send a Christmas card every year? Does anybody in here do the Christmas card? Now, keep your hand raised if you send a letter with your Christmas card. Some good letters. Not as many as maybe there could be. Uh, one time, I, I remember uh, growing up, I got a, a Christmas card letter from a friend of my parents, an uh, f- old, old church family member. And we're reading, my mom's reading this Christmas card letter aloud. And, and you know, it's, and it, you know they, they did a really nice job. It's a beautiful Christmas card. And they did that thing that's like extra cute where, you know, it's like rhyming and like everything is like, and it, was, it was amazing. It was a great Christmas card. You know, it was like, you know, John... Uh, little Johnny got straight A's and Frank got a raise and it was just, you know, everything down the line. It was just, you know, you could tell it was just the best uh, Christmas ever, you know, uh, the best year ever. And everybody in the family, you know, was just doing awesome. And, and I, while I should have been really excited for them, <laughs> there was a part of me that was like, oh, come on, they cannot be doing that awesome, <laughs> you know. <laughs> nobody's doing that awesome. <laughs> you know, the beautiful picture, and if, you've, if you send those, you find that one picture that maybe you, you touch up in Photoshop and mix with the other picture where everybody's smiling and it looks, it looks great, and you send it out, um, you know, that vacation, it was perfect, you, you know, and you tell everybody, you know, your jobs, it's going awesome, and the kids are perfect, and they never have any trouble, and look, they're all smiling in the picture. We don't have any like that yet. Um, <laughs> and, and you know when you're looking at that card or reading, or reading that letter, and there's nothing wrong with this, you know that it's a picture. It's not the whole story. You know that immediately before that picture and immediately after, uh, they might not have looked like that same perfect family <laughs> in the picture. But there's that part of you that, like, everything seems to be going so well for them, you know? And that was me uh, standing around my kitchen table with my, with my parents that year. It's like, man, why isn't my life not like that, you know? Because um, it seems like for me, every year, you know, especially around Christmas time, and maybe, maybe you're the same, maybe not, uh, especially around Christmas time, we are working really hard to try and maybe just one time have, like, the perfect Christmas, you know? <laughs> like, to finally figure that, that thing out that everybody else seems to have. But, but if you're like me, it seems like no matter how hard you try, every Christmas, like, somebody gets sick. I mean, we already talked about that today, right? Somebody gets hurt. You know, you think, oh, this is going to be the year. We're all doing so well. And, and somebody falls and has to go to the hospital. Or, or maybe um, your family's like my family sometimes, and it's like, everything's going great, we're all gathering for Christmas, and there's always one person in your family that just can't be nice for the whole Christmas party. <laughs> you know, or, or two people that you thought maybe this would be the year that they could bury the hatchet, but they just can't get through the hour without picking at each other and, and causing trouble. Or maybe there's somebody that everybody hoped would be there, but then they're not there, and then everybody's got to talk about, oh, it's too bad so-and-so didn't make it to such-and-such this year, you know? <laughs> And, and it seems like every year we think maybe this is the year, um, and if I just work hard enough, and if I just pray hard enough, and if I just get the right gifts for my family or whatever, this will be the year that we have the good Christmas, the one that we remember, that we finally did that perfect family thing. And, and it's funny because we know this is impossible, 
Um, if you watch Christmas movies, you know that in Christmas movies, it's impossible to have the perfect Christmas. Uh, but, but we still just desire this. We just think, you know, I got to have this peace or this something this time of year. Otherwise, I'm, I'm like doing it wrong. And I think um, the root of this, uh, for me, uh, it, it actually stretches all the way back to the way that we tell the Christmas story, even. Um, I think when we tell the Christmas story, and the Bible doesn't really do this, but the way that we like to tell it, we like create the Christmas card version of the Christmas story, right? Uh, you know, and we tell it every year, and it's all, you know, it's all peace and love, and everybody's happy and calm, and, and it's silent night, you know? Uh, it, what captures it for me, you know, the perfect Christmas, the first Christmas Christmas card, uh, I love the song, Away in a Manger. Uh, but what always gets me is there's this line, right? You know, it's the, the cattle are lowing, the baby awakes, but little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes, right? <laughs> like, are you kidding me? <laughs> you know, Jesus, uh, we believe, right, that he is God in the flesh, but, but he's in the flesh, <laughs> This is a real baby, and you're telling me that in a stinky cave full of animals that are making noise, the little newborn itty-bitty baby Jesus just opens his eyes and smiles at everyone. Oh, maybe preaches a little sermon. I, I don't think so, right? Uh, because here's what's happening in the story, right? There are shepherds coming and going from the room. Uh, Mary, she just had a baby in a barn. She had a baby in a barn. And you better believe the only person in that cave that's being careful not to make a sound is Joseph. <laughs> you know, he's leaning back in the background. Uh, and, and Mary's had like one minute of sleep. Nobody from the hospital came to take baby Jesus out of the room so mom and dad could sleep. <laughs> Those cattle start making noise, and Joseph is like, shh, no, 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 no. <laughs> you wake that, and then, wah, there's baby Jesus crying, and, and Mary, she just looks at Joseph <laughs> with that look, and he's like, I need to leave, but I can't. <laughs> I can just picture it, you know? Um, and it, it's funny to me, because sometimes, and so often at Christmas, um, we tell this Christmas card version of the Christmas story, and it's true, Right? Christmas is about light entering into darkness, and the darkness does not overcome it, right? It's, it's true. But sometimes we, we skip or leave out or brush away the, the darkness part of the Christmas story. Uh, it's not the whole story. And, and as we read this section of Matthew today, um, what we're presented with is, is not the stuff that you put on your front lawn uh, when Christmas is coming up. It's not, uh, there aren't nativity uh, figurines, that, inner, that, uh, that act out what happens in, in this part of, of Matthew. And so we're just going to take a look at Matthew and, and see if maybe God has something to say to us uh, in, in this story too, in the not, not fit for the front of the sanctuary part of, of the Christmas story. Uh, so would you pray with me? Lord, as we open your word together, uh, open our hearts to hear from you. Help us to be willing uh, to let uh, what you have to say to us this morning get, get inside. We thank you for what you've done, and we thank you that you know what it is to be in dark places and difficult times, too. In your name, amen. Uh, so just a little um, 
a little refresher. Last week, we talked about the wise men that came to visit King Herod, and King Herod was like, hey, let me know when you find that baby Jesus uh, so that I can come and, and worship him too. Uh, but uh, Herod's a, a crafty king, and he's worried that there might be another king born in the region. And so this is, this is what happens, right? Um, Jesus is king, and the king is not happy about that. Um, so, so here we go. If you just take a look, perfect. Uh, Matthew 2, 13. It says, so when they had gone, so the, the magi, the, the wise men, came and visited the baby Jesus, and they, they left, and they went a different route. They had a dream, and they're like, okay, we better not go tell Herod where this baby is. It's probably not such a good idea. So they, they leave by another route. And then we, we have our story picks up. It says in verse 13, When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Uh, and, and before we continue, I just want to point something out to you that uh, first readers of this would have noticed right away. <clears throat> and maybe you know this off the top of your head. Who is another character in the Bible named Joseph? Do you guys know? Is there another character in the Bible named Joseph? Confirmation kids. You guys know this. So, what? Yeah, Joseph. Yeah, it's probably a better way to ask that question. <laughs> So, so Joseph, um, in the Old Testament, his story is all the way back in Genesis. And the thing that's important to know about Joseph is he's famous for having dreams and for going to Egypt. Um, so you know this guy. He's the, the great-great-grandfather of your faith. So, so for some reason, uh, the story starts this way. When they had gone, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. And if you know your Bible well, you're thinking, oh, that's interesting. I know another Joseph that has dreams. Um, so just kind of keep that, keep that in your head. We're intended to notice that. Um, <clears throat> he says, get up. This is what happens in the dream. He says, get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. Um, so if we've got our, our perfect Christmas card story, um, the wise men come, and what do they bring besides gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh? They, they bring the attention of the king, the evil king who wants to harm, harm the baby. And so if you're Mary and Joseph... Uh, your life is already kind of upside down, but now it's turned to the side because you've got to get up and take your kid and go to a, a foreign country and hide there because somebody is coming for you. And, and so they did. They went up and they left. <clears throat> um, and so, you know, it's not, it's not so perfect. Next thing you know, you're leaving the country to find Egypt. It's, it's bad stuff. Uh, but Matthew throws this line in here. He says, And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. Uh, and in this passage, there are actually three, three prophecies. Matthew three times says something was fulfilled or, or completed. So if you've ever read this story before, maybe you've looked at your Bible and you've noticed that where it says, after it says, out of Egypt, I called my son, there's a little letter there, right? That leads to a footnote. And if, if you guys have your Bible open, what does that footnote tell you to do? Where does it tell us to go? It's a little letter. Maybe it's the letter C. That's the one in my Bible. You look all the way down at the bottom of your Bible. What's that? Hosea. Hosea 11. One. That's right. So Hosea 11.1. One. So we're just going to take a look really quick. So this, Matthew says this fulfills something that happened. So we're going to take a look. And this is what it says. It says, when Israel was a child, I loved him. 
And out of Egypt, I called my son. This is the part that's being quoted, right? Out of Egypt, I called my son. But the more they called, the more they went away from me. They sacrificed to the Baals and they burned incense to images. Now, if you were expecting, I know the first time I read this, I was expecting that to lead to Hosea saying, oh, and by the way, Jesus is going to have to flee to Egypt. But it doesn't really say that, right? It's about something like a little, a little different. Um, it's not, maybe not exactly what you'd expect. Because if you read this passage in Hosea, uh, Hosea is, he's looking backwards into the story of Israel's history. He's saying, uh, he's actually talking about what happened when God's people left Egypt the first time. He's saying, God is saying, out of Egypt, I brought my people. And what do his people do the more God loves them? The more they're called, the more they what? Went away from me. Uh, so Matthew, is, he's trying to get you to remember this, right? And if, you've, if you grew up, uh, if this is your tradition, you grew up with the Old Testament, you know this thing like the back of your hand, right? The Old Testament for early Jewish people, it was like, you know, Star Wars combined with Star Trek combined to like, with like every story that you told. This was what your, your culture was, was the Old Testament. So you know these stories like the back of your hand. And Matthew says, oh, uh, remember this, this little line. Jesus is coming to complete. Out of Egypt, I called my son. And so instantly you'd remember, you'd say, okay, oh yeah, that's right. Uh, out of Egypt, I called my son. And the more they were called, the more they went away from me. In fact, they sacrificed to, to other, other gods. So, so Matthew intentionally says this tragedy of being pulled into Egypt, it has something to do with when God pulled uh, his people out of Egypt and it didn't go so well. Uh, so he's trying to keep this in your mind. And he's not making a mistake. Uh, he knows the context. And, and what he's trying to show us is what it means for Jesus to fulfill something that's happened. So somehow this... And what happened in Egypt relates to what Jesus is going to do. Uh, so let's, let's move on. Uh, the story continues. Uh, when Herod realized, the king realized that the Magi weren't going to come back and tell him where baby Jesus was, uh, he was furious. He gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Have you ever seen a nativity scene with that depicted in it. No. No, we don't, we don't even want to think about that. That because Herod found out, because the wise men came and told him this king was going to be born, because Jesus was born, this incredible tragedy happened. Herod, a, a bad man, a king fighting to keep his power, went and killed every child under two to avoid the threat that he thought they might pose to him. And Matthew mentions it. Uh, he doesn't have to. Remember, we've talked about this. Matthew is like a quilt. Everything that he puts in this book, he puts in for a reason. He doesn't have to tell this story. He could have left it out. But for some reason, he wants to make sure that you know that when Jesus came, even though it was peace on earth and goodwill to men, there was tragedy in that too. He, he continues. <clears throat> He mentions it. And he mentions it so that we know that it didn't look like in Jesus' day that light would overcome the darkness. Um, so, so Matthew says this, though. He says, okay, so this happened, uh, but God is somehow at work in that. And, and he gives us a little hint. He says, um, 
There we go. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, mourning and great weeping, or weeping and great mourning. Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. Um, so what is your little, what letter is on your Bible next to the end of that quote? Where does it tell us to go? Jeremiah 31, verse 15. Uh, so again, we'll, we'll take a look. And so here we have our quote. That's, that's what Matthew quotes, verse 15. And then he, he continues, um, Jeremiah continues this way. He says, you know, there's weep, great weeping and mourning. Rachel is a reference to a character from Genesis just like Joseph. This is actually Joseph's mom is named Rachel. She's the mother of many of the tribes of Israel. And what's happened leading up to Jeremiah is, um, you know, they're the great grandkids. They're the descendants of Rachel. And uh, enemies have come in and, and captured and killed and brought everybody out of the promised land. And so what this means is that if you're a Jewish person, you remember this as the time that the promise God made to his people didn't seem like it would ever come true. Because God promised that he would bless his people so that they could bless the whole world. And right here in Jeremiah, we have depicted the time when the whole world came and, and pulled them out of that land, destroyed God's people uh, because they were always wandering away as a result of that. Um, but, it, but it continues, and Jeremiah includes this as well. In the middle of the weeping, he says, This is what the Lord says. Restrain your voice from weeping and your eyes from tears, for your work will be rewarded, declares the Lord. They will return from the land of the enemy. And so Matthew thinks, in this story of, of children being lost, somehow God is at work in the middle of that too. And somehow what happened there relates to this hope and this promise in Jeremiah. Jeremiah looks back to Rachel, Joseph's mother, weeping over her great-grandchildren who, you know, who have who've been lost. And he says, there's hope for your descendants. It might look like it's all over, but it's not all over. Matthew says that weeping is somehow fulfilled in this other moment of weeping. Weeping mothers who are also rightly inconsolable. So, so hold on to this. So we have Israel's failure in the first chapter. Jesus has something to do with that. And Jesus has something to do with the loss of this promise and this, this hope. And, and maybe the hope that it's not all lost. It continues. <clears throat> so after Herod died, um, this is such a short throwaway line. And it's so interesting to me because it means that Herod died a, a long time before Jesus could have grown up and threatened him at all, right? It's just so sad. Uh, so, but after Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph. Here we go. Joseph in his dreams, right? And said, get up, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel. For those who are trying to take the child's life are dead. Now, so imagine you're Mary and Joseph. Is this how you thought the first years of your marriage would work out? <laughs> no. No, this is, this is so far from anything you could expect. You know, today, uh, kids travel far away from home and they go live in other places and it's not a big deal. Uh, but then it was, it was just shocking that you would leave behind your whole support structure, your whole family, all the people that you cared about to go live in a foreign country for your own safety and protection. And so Mary and Joseph's life with the little uh, never ever crying baby Jesus is hard. This is not a Christmas card story. Things are not going well, but an angel appears to Joseph again and says, hey, guess what? You can come home. And so they've got to be excited. 
It says, he got up, he took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus, this is Herod's son, was reigning in Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee and he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. And right, it says, and so was fulfilled what was said through the prophets that he would be called a Nazarene. So we'll, we'll come back to that in a second. Uh, so instead of going to kind of the center of, of the nation, of the land, where this promise was you know, going to come true, right? The Messiah coming up and taking the throne, the king, pushing out all these evil people like Herod, um, they actually wind up settling kind of on the outskirts of the land uh, among uh, not the most important people. And they settle in this town called Nazareth. And Nazareth is, is this itty-bitty town that is just totally without uh, worth mentioning at all. Right? So this is not what anybody planned, right? Uh, I don't think Mary um, felt that God was on her side when she was traveling to Egypt with a two-year-old. Do you think Joseph felt blessed when he had to explain to his wife that they were leaving everyone because he had a dream? No. No, right? Do you think anyone felt like God was in control when Herod came into town and murdered children, just like Pharaoh did in Egypt? I don't think anybody put this on their Christmas card. Of course not. You know, I think they were like us. And when their lives weren't going well, they didn't feel particularly blessed. I'll bet they wondered, God, where are you in this chaos? How can your Messiah come in the middle of such tragedy and pain and panic? But Matthew thinks, he somehow thinks, that God is at work even in this. And he's so sure that God is at work that he doesn't leave these stories out. Instead, he puts them right here at the very beginning so that you're forced to look at them and think about them and think, is it possible that God might be able to work even in circumstances like these? And so we have our, our, last, our last fulfillment. So was fulfilled what was said through the prophets that he would be called a Nazarene. Uh, so take a look at your Bible. Where does it tell us to go? It's a tricky one, right? It doesn't say anything, right? It doesn't give you a, a, a note. There's no a verse that's not a quote uh, that we can go to. Um, and you could look really hard. And actually, if you, if you take a look, you can search through uh, the Old Testament and you'll find that nowhere in the Old Testament does it say anything about the town of Nazareth. It's, it's not in the Old Testament at all, the town of Nazareth. Um, Nazareth, right, is such a small unimportant place that when Jesus started doing miracles, uh, nobody believed it was possible because they knew he was from Nazareth. <laughs> they were like, nothing good ever comes out of Nazareth. And, and Matthew uh, includes this. He reminds us that he was, he was from this, this little tiny podunk obscure town way out on the margins. Uh, and it's crazy that anybody would think the Messiah would come for him. But, but Matthew, he believes that somehow this fulfills uh, what was said through the prophets in, in Scripture. And, and here's what's cool about how the Bible was written. There actually is maybe one place that this does uh, line up perfectly with. And, and it's from Isaiah 11, uh, verses 1 and 2. If you know Isaiah 11, we read it at Christmas time all the time uh, because it, 
It's a prophecy about who the Messiah will be, who we think Jesus is, what we think he fulfills. And it starts like this. It says, A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots a branch will bear fruit, and the spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And in Isaiah 11, it goes on to explain how, how Jesus will set, how this Messiah, this person, this shoot, will set right all of God's creation eventually. How, how he'll change the world in such a way that lions can lie down next to cow or lambs and nobody gets hurt. Uh, but what does this have to do with Nazareth? Well, it turns out that this word right here, um, shoot and branch, uh, they come from a Hebrew word uh, that's pronounced nazir. The Hebrew word for stick is nazir. Can you say nazir? Nazir. Uh, it turns out that that word for branch or shoot, that Hebrew word, it just literally, like the most basic word is just stick, is nazir. Uh, and so Matthew, he's, he's doing a little play on words here. He's saying, Isaiah says the Messiah is going to be a nazir. Well, Jesus comes from Nazareth, the stick town, out in the sticks. Matthew says, um, you know, people are wondering. They call Jesus a Nazarene. It's not a nice thing to say. They say, you're from that place. It's their way of diminishing him. You can't possibly be who you say you are because you're from the sticks. But, but Matthew says, no. He says, just like the flight into Egypt and even the tragedy in Bethlehem, just like they don't disprove God's involvement in the story, they actually fulfill expectations. He says, look at Isaiah. Look at what God did even in this. He says, the, the prophets always said Messiah would be a stick. <laughs> He's reminding them. It fulfills that too. And, and just like um, the first Joseph, you know the story of the first Joseph? Um, he has these dreams that he's going to become king and his, his brothers get so mad they sell him into slavery in Egypt. And because of that, he, he rises up and becomes a, a ruler in, in Egypt and saves everyone's life. And at the end of the story of Joseph, his brothers are, are really sorry. His brothers are really scared that Joseph is going to hurt them for what they did to him. And Joseph uh, says this line to them. He says, what you did, you intended for evil. And what you intended for evil, God intended for good. And so Matthew wants us to remember that just like uh, the Joseph in Genesis that had dreams, the Joseph in Matthew that had dreams experiences tragedy and pain and suffering and stuff that's not fair and not right and not okay, but somehow God can take evil things and make them good. This is what Matthew is trying to do here. He's trying to say uh, with these tragedies, these, these setbacks and detours, that they're fulfilled in Jesus. The first Christmas, it looked a lot more like darkness than light. It looked a lot more like failure than hope. It looked a lot more like pain than health. And Matthew, um, inspired by the Holy Spirit, he chooses to highlight these moments because Matthew believes that the stuff that we want to avoid, the stuff that we want to ignore, the moments that don't make our Christmas cards, uh, that's actually where God shows up are precisely the places where God shows up the most. Matthew's claim is that these tragic events, they're where God shows up. It's in the middle of that stuff that God lives. 
And God is not surprised when his Messiah has to flee to Egypt. He's not surprised when the Messiah comes from a podunk town in the sticks. And it doesn't make it better always in the moment. But what humans intend for evil, God works for good. By citing these texts, by reminding his readers of God's story working with Israel through all kinds of tragedy and pain and suffering, he reminds us that these tragedies don't invalidate God's promise, but they remind us of his presence in the middle of the pain. I think we often look to our circumstances and whether or not we can make a perfect Christmas card. We look to that as evidence of whether or not God really cares about us. If I have a week that's not going well, if I'm busy, if bad stuff happens to me, if I get a flat tire, I'm like, God, what did I do wrong, right? But the gospel reminds us that when messiahs are crucified, they rise again. That when uh, messiahs have to, to run to crazy places to save their life, that God is somehow at work in that too. Because it's not despite the circumstances of Jesus' birth that God saves us through him. It's because of them. And we're not called to ignore or smooth over these, these bad things, to pretend like they don't happen, but instead to look for God in them. And we're encouraged to look for God's help out of them. So when our dreams don't come true and when our nightmares do, when our lives seem uh, not so much like that perfect nativity scene, let's not deny our problems and smile through them. Let's own that they hurt, but remember that the stump is not the final word, that the cross and the pain is not the final word, that the evil king harming people is not the final word. That our wanderings don't define us because God is at work bringing life to dead places, light to darkness, and resurrection from death. And as I think about what that means in my life, I encourage you to think about what that means in your life. What does it mean in the middle of something that just, ah, that's just the worst? That's just wrong when you're in the middle of uh, the stuff on the edges of Tim Peterson's barn. <laughs> when you're in the middle of the crap of life. Remember that God is at work in that too. Keep going. Look for God at work and don't ignore the hurt, but draw near to God because life is so often not a climb from victory to victory to victory, but it's beset by failures and things we could never prevent and hurts and bad Christmases. But guess what? God is at work in the middle of that stuff too. That's what following Jesus is all about. That in the death of a Messiah, we can find life and forgiveness. That no matter what we face, our hope is in the resurrection. That no matter what we've done or failed to do, God is at work holding on to us. That if we trust him, he'll offer us forgiveness and eternal life that stretches past all the huge problems that we face today and on into eternity. That God is with us, not based on our circumstances, but based on what God can do in them. That is the kind of savior Matthew is about. One who steps into the darkest darkness and feels the pain of people just like us and somehow brings light. Would you pay, pray with me? Lord God, you're not afraid of our hurt.
You don't look away from our wincing faces. You don't pretend or ask us to pretend that life is just full of birthday party after birthday party. No, Lord, you know that life is hard. And we know that you're present with us in the darkest and most difficult things. You sent your son into a hard and difficult place because you loved us so much. You let him experience what it is to be like us. You sent him to die on our behalf so that we might put hope in you and in your promises and not in what happened today or tomorrow. Help us to remember that in this season. That when things don't go right, when one bad thing seems to lead to another bad thing seems to lead to another bad thing, remind us that you do really have us. And that we can hope in you past those moments, through the good and the bad, and onward into the resurrection. Where we'll look back at those mountains and those tragedies and think, gosh, was it really that bad? We thank you for your presence. We thank you for your care. Help us to put our trust and hope in you. In your name, amen. Thanks for listening to the sermon podcast from Bethel Covenant Church. We're an evangelical covenant church outside Ellsworth, Wisconsin, and you can find out more about us at BethelCov.org.